0: Well, the title of this morning's sermon is, You May Know, and then I have in brackets that you have eternal life. The reason I did that is because when it comes to titling these messages on sermon audio, the long titles won't fit. And so that you may know, you have eternal life. Most of you, this is a very, very familiar passage, or at least verse 13 is, as we come into this final section, not this exact one, but we're coming into these last verses of this study in 1 John that we've been going through. But you may know, when I was thinking about things that you may know or that God wants you to know, it made me think of things that would be very beneficial to you to know in life. So in order to appropriate wealth or something of value, some asset that is available to you, you first have to be aware that you possess it. So it's thinking about appropriating wealth or taking advantage of something of value that's in your life. And there's really two parts to it. If it's gonna be of any benefit to you, you have to first be aware that you possess it. Wealth or something of value will do you no good if if you're not aware that you possess it. And the second thing is you have to take advantage of the benefits it provides. So you have to be aware that you have it this asset or this thing, this great wealth or treasure in your life that it's available to you, you have to be aware of it, and then you have to take advantage of the benefits it provides. Now, if you don't, it, has no, it provides you with no practical good. It does you no practical good. To have something that is yours, that is of great value, that you're either unaware of or unwilling to use or take advantage of. Now, imagine... Having a great need for something, we'll just try to pick an innocuous example here. Think of something that you might have a great need for. Let's just say you have a great need for a reliable car. But imagine that while you are experiencing that great need, this need for that reliable car, you already have one titled in your name. It's well maintained. It's gassed up and ready to go. And it's stored in a garage readily accessible to you right across the street. That's the exact same scenario that ever, every believer finds himself or herself in. You have a great need spiritually for God to provide for the things you could never provide for yourself in, order, in, in terms of first tense justification and also in terms of Christian living. But they've already been provided. All of those spiritual blessings, those things of great wealth, those treasures that you're needing in your life, you already have positionally the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were blessed with every spiritual blessing. There were none missing. 100% of all the blessings and the equipping that was necessary for you to live the abundant life that God wanted for you to live was given to you positionally the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not a question of do you have the things of great wealth or the assets that would meet the needs that you have in your, in your spiritual life. You have them. They're gassed up and ready to go. They're in a bank account with your name on it. You can withdraw them anytime that you want. See, you have very specific spiritual needs, but yet you have an abundance of spiritual blessings available to meet every one of those needs. And the two critical questions are, again, are you aware of the blessings? And will you choose to appropriate practically the blessings you already possess positionally? Let me say that again. Will you choose to appropriate practically the blessings you already possess positionally? Now, some of that is new to you if you haven't been coming out for very long. This distinction between our position in Christ... Our position in Christ can only be accessed through faith alone, by grace alone, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The moment you put all of your eggs in the basket of trust and confidence and faith in what Christ has already done for you as he died on a cross on Calvary more than 2,000 years ago and he said it is finished. He took all of your sins in his own body. He paid the price that was owed by you, the debt that was owed by you. He didn't pay it in part, he paid it in full. And the moment you accept that what he did for you fully satisfied the need that you had on a spiritual plane, that he had fully propitiated or substituted himself in your behalf and that all you must do is accept the free gift of eternal life that he offers to you through faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In that moment... You're positionally now taken from being identified with Adam and you're being transferred. Your your position or your citizenship is even transferred from this earth and it's placed in heaven. You're now positionally in Christ. You're now identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on your behalf. When God looks at you, he sees the imputed or the credited righteousness of Christ wrapped around you, and you now stand in the shoes of Jesus Christ. It's like the little kid that the dad has standing on his feet as he dances him or her child around. You're standing on his feet, or you're riding on his shoulders, or however you want to look at it, you're standing in him now. But because you're now royalty, you're now a prince of heaven, he's the king of heaven, you're the prince of heaven now. You've been blessed with all kinds of spiritual things. So then practically, we talk about the difference between positionally and that's an amazing thing. That guarantees my future residence in heaven for all of eternity with him. That guarantees positionally that his spirit will now come and dwell me and I'll be sealed until the day of redemption. That guarantees that he'll never let me go because once I'm his child, I'm always his child. There's a point in time that you're born. You're either born spiritually or you're not born spiritually. You're not born spiritually over and over again. There either was a new birth or there wasn't a new birth. But even though I have this newfound status as royalty and I have all these treasures and spiritual blessings, the question always becomes, will I appropriate them? Will I practically take advantage of them? Will I make withdrawals from... That bank account of great wealth that I have, will I be aware of all of the Benjamins that I have in my wallet? And will I use them to go about life the way that God wants as he's the power source behind it, as he's the one equipping it, as he's the one directing it? Will I do that? And you see, that is why the word of God repeatedly reminds believers... Of the blessings that they possess. Now, it is true that there's plenty of scripture that is addressed to unbelievers to make them aware of the predicament that they find themselves in. To make them aware that apart from faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone, they're hopeless and they're helpless and they're hellbound. Plenty of scriptures to point to the need of the lost and their need to put their confidence in the Savior. But you know what? There's an awful lot of scripture dedicated to reminding people who already are believers that they have these great blessings and treasures available to them and that they will not experience life in the measure and the quality of life that God intended for them if they don't take advantage of those blessings. So over and over and over, the Bible reminds believers of those truths, those various truths. And that's what John has been seeking to do with this letter of 1 John. Remember, it was a letter written to believers. People who he had already invested a great amount of time into. People who he had already taught a lot as they grew in their faith from that infancy where they had just been baby believers. They had just understood that salvation can only be found through faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. They did that at some point in time. But when they did that, they had no other foundation to work off of. They were now children of God. They were born into God's family. They now though needed to grow because they were babies. So he started giving them milk. As they drank that milk, they started putting on a little weight. Some of you have some chunky babies. You know what that looks like? They start putting on a little weight. Little Michelin man babies. Got a puppy myself that's putting on some weight. Her name's Stella, but we call her Tank now. (laughs) They start putting on a little weight. And then they can digest a little bit more than formula or nursing milk. And so they start crushing up stuff, or I never actually did that. You buy the little tubs of the stuff. (laughs) And they start eating vegetables, and you're thinking you're being a great, and I'll get them this wide variety of flavors so that they're going to love vegetables when they're older. I kind of think it worked with my kids, tell you the truth. They seem to like vegetables, but then pretty soon they can eat Cheerios and small little snacks, and they start to grow. Well, that's what John has gone through this process with his audience that he's writing to in First John. That's why he calls them my little children, my dearly beloved, the ones that I've invested this time into, you growing in your faith. So what he's been telling them is he's been reminding them over and over again, if you want to live life that is full, a life that has purpose, a life that has value, what I'll even refer, refer to is I didn't come that you'd just have life, but I came that you'd have it more abundantly. I think there's a lot in that statement Jesus says, I'll take you however you are. Everyone is a sinner. Everybody's in the same boat. Everybody has the same need. So obviously, I'll have to take you that way because we're all described as being lost and then we all need to be found. We're all described as being dead. We need to be made alive. So it doesn't do any good to preach morality to people who are dead. When I was in youth ministry, one of the sayings that we had was, we're not in the business of making bad kids good. We're in the business of making dead kids alive. And you think about the gospel message. It doesn't, it doesn't do any good to put the cart before the horse, but when you're thinking about one who has come to know the Savior, then Jesus says, all right, I accepted you just as you were, dead in trespasses and sins. There was none righteous, no, not one. There's not a just man upon the earth that did good or sinned not. There was none who was seeking after God. All had fallen short of the glory of God. He has to take everybody that way because that's the only kind of people they are. But he says, I don't want to leave you like that. My desire is that you would then grow in your understanding. You would learn to trust me more in a practical way now. We're not talking about that positional change from being in Adam to being in Christ. We're talking about growing now practically so that we are learning to trust him more. We're allowing him free reign to work in our lives. We're getting out of his way. We're focusing our attention. We're getting our eyes fixed on eternal things. We're looking upward. We're going vertical with our thinking. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our perspective is changing. Our emphasis is changing. Our focus is changing. And as that's true, his spirit now, when we're not resisting, not preventing, not fighting, we're allowing and letting him to work in us we're now then can be walking by means of this dependence on the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God then produces godly qualities or godly characteristics in our lives known as the fruit of the Spirit, fruit produced by the Spirit, now our lives can become more and more and more a reflection of Him. We can become over time more and more like him. Paul can be saying over time, let that kind of a mind be in you. Not be in you in the sense that it, you're not positionally in Christ, but more that it would characterize your thinking more so and more so over time that your thinking would be like his thinking. That you'd soon develop and start to see people the way he sees people, to ha- have his vision, to have his objectives be your objectives. But that comes, comes through this process of growth Over time. And John has been writing this letter to these believers, telling them that apart from living life in close, intimate fellowship with God, apart from living life with Him, involving Him in your life, not excluding Him in your life, taking Him with you in your life, you will not experience the maximum joy that's available to you. Because in my presence is where fullness of joy is found. So you're going to have to live life in my presence taking me with you, being closely connected to me. The phrase we use is fellowship, that you're, you may have fellowship with us and that your fellowship may be with God himself. That's the purpose of this letter, and it's frankly the purpose of most of the New Testament. The bulk of the subject matter is devoted to Christian living, to living life in this church age that we live in in a way that would bring God glory, that would be in a way that would make your life happy, that your life would be joy-filled, that your life would be described as having peace, that you'd be setting aside treasures in heaven, that you'd be investing in things that matter. That's what most of the subject matter is about. Well, that's what John has been talking about here. So let's take a look at this reminder that he has here of these blessings that these believers have, and he's just picking one here. He says that you may know, and then the specific one is going to be, that you have eternal life, and then we'll get into these other blessings regarding prayer. But let's start by reading. If you haven't turned there, turn to 1 John chapter 5. I'll give you a minute to get there. We're gonna pick up reading in verse 9. It's interesting that though this isn't inspired, the headings in your in your study Bibles are not inspired, but yet they were men of faith generally seeking to... Bring glory to the Lord. In all, in all likelihood doing it as unto the Lord and in all probability doing it as led by his spirit. They put a lot of work into some of the ways that they would describe sections but this whole section is called blessed assurance in my Bible. Very interesting. Verse nine, if we receive the witness of men and he's saying if and this is the case we accept all kinds of things from men as true oftentimes without really vetting them at all. So if we're, if we're going to be willing to do that, well, the witness of God is greater, he says. Because he's just been going through the first part of, the the previous part of chapter 5 of telling them that God had authenticity of his son. Is this cutting, cutting out? out? Let's, let's bow our heads together here. How about that? I'm actually not even sure it was the batteries because I changed them before the uh, VBS. All right. How about this one? All right, we're going to try this. We'll switch mics here and let's say a little prayer. Dear Lord, just pray that you would undertake with even some of these technological glitches, keep keep me calm, uh, help me to have patience and wisdom with it. And if we have to just keep switching mics, help us to uh, just keep our attention focused on the truth from your word in Jesus name. Amen. So we readily accept the witness of men. We don't even really vet it that well at times. But the witness of God is greater. And we've been talking about, again, middle part of chapter 5, all the evidence that God proved of the authenticity and the rationalness of putting your trust or the reasonableness, that's the word I wanted, of putting your trust in his son. So he's saying you can't have life apart from the son because life is found in the son. So if you can't have life apart from the Son, you need to put your faith in the Son of God in order to then wanting to be living life intimately. Live life intimately in fellowship with Him, you're going to have to put your faith in the Son, provided given by God directly about the authenticity of His Son being who He said He was, which was the Savior of the world. The only solution to meet Man's need and the only solution for Christian living too, and so that was what he's referring to with, with verse nine. That if you're going to believe men, you should believe all of this evidence that God has provided about His Son because He's a reliable source of information. Now, verse ten: He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that who gave the testimony that God has given of his son and this is the testimony that god has given us eternal life now we talked about that eternal life referring to a quality of life a godly characteristics and quality of life that is lived out through the child of god through the power of the spirit of god and this life is in his son he who is in christ has access to this life he who's not in christ doesn't have access to That life, it's this life of identification with the Son of God that makes real living even possible. So the person who doesn't have the Son of God presently doesn't have that life. The person who does presently have the Son presently then has that godly quality of life emanating from or through Him. Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. So, Lord willing, we're going to work through those three verses here this morning. Verse 13, we dive into here. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So we'll look at this first part. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, who is this? And sorry, there's no way I could fit that whole phrase. So I have written to you who believe. And I I put that part of that phrase there because it makes real obvious who the audience is. See, the audience is clearly defined as believers. He says it right there. These things I have written to you who believe. And we'll dig into it a little bit more because believe here is in the present tense. So it's referring to a current state of being. So you could say, these things I have written to you who are presently believing. And that's why you say that you may, the purpose is that you may continue to presently believe. The purpose is that I'm writing to you who are presently believing, who are already believers, but you're presently interested in the things of faith. You're presently uh, desiring to walk by means of the Spirit of God. You're interested in experiencing a life of fellowship with the Father. I'm, I'm writing these things to you. I'm reminding you of things that are true with the hopes that you'll continue to appropriate them in your daily lives. So, present tense. Now, it's also a participial phrase. And you say, well, no thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I think oftentimes when I I see something grammar heavy. Uh, The participial phrase, who believe. I've written to you who believe. So who believe, and then you have the prepositional phrase, in the name of the Son of God, those are modifying what? They're modifying you here. I've written to you. Now we're going to modify that or characterize who that you is. Well, it's you who believe, not just believe in anything though, second modifying phrase, the prepositional phrase, in the name of the Son of God. So that's who I'm writing to. So it describes or characterizes the you who make up John's audience in a way similar to an adjective. That's what a participle does. But a participial phrase does that. So if we rephrase it, it would say, I've written these things to you believers whose lives are presently characterized by faith because they're presently believing in and who's the object of that faith? Faith in, I should have said, faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm re- writing these things to you. Now, the question is, does that presently describe you? Because we're, dis- we're looking at things that God wrote through the power of his spirit, breathing each word through human authors for the benefit of every Christian who would follow. He was careful to make sure that none of his truth was lost, that it would be made available through his word to believers for all time. He says not one little mark of punctuation will even be lost. From my word, I want it to be available to you because it's the word of God that is quick and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So, God was, had you in mind when he was writing this. You as the audience, again, of the letter to believers. So believers in the church age, he had you in mind. As a believer, is he writing to you even today? Would this be addressed to you properly to say, I'm presently one who is presently living life in faith. I'm I'm actually appropriating the truths that I know to be there, to be real. And I'm presently believing in the name of the Son of God. Now you say, what do you mean by that? I haven't stopped believing. I'm talking about practically Am I practically living like I'm believing? Or though I believe, I'm living like I actually don't believe this. Now ask yourself, am I living like I actually believe this or am I not? If you actually believe this, would you be having difficulty sleeping at night like I was last Thursday? If in that moment it was real to you, and you're really appropriating it by faith, God says that I'll give you rest when you're depending and trusting on me. You think that I'm immune from saying I believe it but living like I don't? Th- my thinking getting out of whack where I just can't, I can't get something out of my mind? Life's not easy. There's hard things in life. You're fit, you run up against him. You've got two choices though. It's either trust him, not just say you trust him, give it to him in arresting, I'm going to depend on you through this Lord or you carry it. I'll tell you which one is much preferable. Giving it to him. Most of the time you can't do anything about it anyway. Most of the time you can't, you can't really do anything about it even if you think you can. But most of the time, even on a human level, you can't do anything about it. So you might as well give it to Him and rest in Him, but that's what we're talking about. Are you presently believing? Are, are you appropriating practically that faith into your everyday choices, your everyday thinking, your everyday response to trials? When a trial comes your way that's deeply upsetting to you, are you reacting in your flesh or are you responding in faith? and giving it to the Lord those are the choices that you have to make those are the choices that that I have to make but that's what John's after in this whole letter and so it's that's what we're getting at his reminder of some of these blessings here even in this section we're going through here so these things I have written to you who are presently believing that that tells us that this is a a purpose statement is now going to follow he's going to tell us why did I why did I write this so I'm writing to those who are believing in the name of the Son of God that and it's going to have two desired outcomes that will follow one of them is that you may know that you have eternal life the second one is that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God so you have two that's there and they both tell you why John is reminding them that he's writing this letter I'm writing this letter for a very specific purpose I'm writing it to those of you who are believing I'm writing it to believers I'm trying to remind you that there is abundant joy available That there's fullness of joy available. That there's perfect peace available. That there's rest available. That there's purpose, a purpose-driven or a purpose-filled life available. That there's contentment available. That there's a reason for living available. And it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and living life for Him and living life with Him. That's what he's been trying to communicate. So he's going to give two purposes here, but one we start with, you may know that you have eternal life. Now, the first word is may. It indicates that the following verbal action is possible, but catch this, not guaranteed. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to get this out of English. May is not a term of certainty. That you may know. It's possible that you could know that you have this eternal life that he's been talking about. This life that is found in his son that he's been talking about. But it's not guaranteed. But you can know this. And he's talking again about presently knowing this. So at some point in time, you have to know that God is the one who gave you life. He took you from being dead and he gave you life. You have to see that God is the one that loved the world so much that he sent the life giver, his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have Everlasting life. They were identified in death and trespasses and sins. They were identified as enemies of God. They were identified as looking forward to a future spent apart from Him in the place that the Bible describes as hell or the lake of fire. They were looking forward to an eternity spent separate from Him. Without life. A total death. Separation from God. On a spiritual plane, but also physically, on a, eventually on a physical plane too. But then existing apart from God, that's the death that the Bible's talking about. They had, to, they had to see that at a point in time. And then they were told that they have this godly quality and character of life that's available to them in life, in here on earth, and that can continue. Those godly qualities and characteristics of life will continue for all of eternity in heaven too. But that God's kind of life can be Revealed or could flow through you as his spirit works in you and then through you. That's what John has been getting at. But that's not guaranteed. But you can be appropriating or living in light of this truth. You can be living in light of that right now on a practical basis or you could kind of have known this at a point in time but you're not resting in this truth right now. And he's saying rest, rest and meditate on this truth right now. So then you say, you may know. Now this is intuitive knowledge gained by instruction. This is not experiential knowledge, this word for know here. Somebody told you this truth. Somebody passed this truth along to you. You responded to it at a point in time. But now, are you knowing it in a practical way presently? This is something that can be known apart from experience. It is known by believing in God's testimony. So in the context, John has been laying up all this testimony for an evidence about why it's rational to be having your confidence and trust in God at a point in time in the past, but he's really focused on why it's rational or reasonable or the only logical conclusion to be putting your confidence and trust presently in God's in the qualities of God that he wants to have in your life, in God's provision for your life, in God on a personal, relational fellowship, an intimate fellowship type of a level. He's been telling them that, and the build-up to that is live life with him because he's worthy of your faith on an ongoing basis so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now it's also, I, I didn't get it on here, but it's also in, the perfect tense. It's a completed past action that produces a present state of being. And so you knew this at some point in the in the past. Now he's saying appropriate it in the present. Know it know it in the present too. You may know that you have, and so that's where this is present tense now. So at a point in time you had to know or come to know that Jesus Christ alone was the one who could give you access to a life that you otherwise could not experience. That faith in his finished work alone was the only way that you could be brought into a right standing with a holy God despite your sinfulness. That something would have had to be done about your sinfulness. That Christ had to take the place of the guilty as he became sin for you. And as he took your sinfulness and he bore the debt of that sin by dying on your behalf on on Calvary, that you had to come to know then that you could have life through faith in his son or through faith in his work as I'm talking about. About him. But now you have, this is the present state reality or the present state implication of knowing that in the past. Now that you can know in the present that you have, you presently have, has a current state of being, you presently have, and it can never be taken away from you, eternal life. Now that's on a positional level, but John is now going to use or transition away from that to be saying, though that's available. You know, at a point in time, it's permanently yours on a positional level. I want you to appropriate that on a practical level as you go about living your Christian life, so that you may know presently that you have presently this eternal life and its active voice. The subject is in the state described by the verb. The the believer is presently described as presently knowing that he ha- he or she has eternal life and it's presented in the indicative mood as a state of statement of fact you may though it's not guaranteed presently know that you presently have this eternal life but again written to believers so it's not like they didn't already have it in a positional way he's saying i want to remind you of it as a believer, so that you can appropriate it in a practical way, in a way that will change your life, in a way that will result in you experiencing this intimacy of fellowship with the Father that is what God desires for you, that you would learn to live life with him in a way that these qualities of godly living would be manifest in and through you as you're trusting him and walking hand in hand with him, so to speak, walking in dependence on his spirit to work in your life. So you have this as a statement of fact. You can know that you have that in a present tense way of operating. Now you think about what? Eternal life. That you may know that you presently have eternal life. Now again this refers to a godly quality of life that's enjoyed in time and in eternity. The life of God expressed in you via the Holy Spirit and experienced by you. I like that definition of eternal life. It's God's life, God's kind of life expressed in you and experienced by you. Now, does it have qualities of never-ending to it? Yeah, the word eternal has qualities of never-ending. But as I mentioned last week, the lost person apart from Christ has, will have life that never-ends too. They'll have eternal life. It just won't be this godly quality of life that the phrase eternal life is really referring to. It's never used to just refer to the length of time exclusively. It's the type or quality of life in time and in eternity that you can experience as a child of God. The person who rejects God will exist for all of eternity too, but they'll just exist apart from God in the place where he's not. But we don't refer to that in the Bible as eternal life, though it is life that never ends. So life that never ends doesn't fully capture the sense of what eternal life is talking about. It's life that never ends that's described by God's kind of living or God's qualities of living being expressed in you. Now, expressed in you when? In time, but also expressed in you in eternity when you're glorified and you're given a perfected body that is much more like his, though still not him. So there we have eternal life. The idea here is the primary application in the context is the availability and desired present tense appropriation of God's special kind of life. That's the focus here. That's the context. I've written to you who already believe and are presently believing in the name of the Son of God that you may know or be reminded that presently you'll be reminded that you have access to God's special kind of life who needed to be reminded of that this morning you have access to God's special kind of life as the spirit of God produces in you a life that is consistent with the qualities of God's life himself being expressed in you the life of God being expressed through you that quality of life that you can live in time that's available do you know that do you know you have that asset, that great wealth available to you? Are you going to take advantage of that by trusting the Lord enough to allow him to have that being emanating from you, working in and through you, being produced in your life? Are you going to allow him to do that? That's what John's getting after. So although this letter is written to people who know the truth, I, I wanted to be clear about this. This verse is one of the best verses in the Bible that you would say is crystal clear that you can know, meaning you can be sure of this. To know something is to be absolutely convinced of it. It can be known. It's stated as a fact. But that you can know that you have this newfound kind of life that's only possible through the Son of God. So if you were sh- going to share the result of the gospel that you're guaranteed eternal life, with somebody who has just responded to the content of the gospel, which was the person and work of Jesus Christ. They responded to that how? Uh, When I was teaching this to the young people at VBS, how can they think about this? With a plus sign and a minus sign. The plus sign, faith alone in Christ alone, the minus sign you can guess is not of works or human effort. Not of yourself or your works, I think is what it actually says. Not of yourself. So when they respond to the message of the gospel, the content of the gospel, then you'd say, what's the result of that? You'd say to them, but would have everlasting life. Now, that verse right there has the result of the gospel. You're guaranteed everlasting life. Why? Because God is a faithful God. God keeps his word. God says that if you have me, you have life. So the moment you have me, you're now identified in me, you now have life. And, he says, I'm going to give you a down payment, a guarantee of that. I'm going to indwell you with my very spirit. My spirit's never going to be spending eternity in a, part, in a place where I'm not. My, that My spirit's going to spend eternity with me. So that's a guarantee to you that one day you're going to spend all of eternity with me. But in time, in this life, I'm not going to force you to live life with me. You're going to have to choose whether each day you're going to live life in close union with me or not. But if you're talking to the person who just got saved and you're going to talk to them about the result of the gospel is that they are guaranteed eternal life. And the second part is that they can have assurance of their salvation. They can know that they have this as a fact. You might take them to this verse. But now that's not the exact context of of this verse, but that's why I have this up here. There's truth that applies to all phases of salvation. It's just as equally true about the one who just got saved as it is about the one who already is saved needing to be reminded of this fixed truth that you may know, you can know, that you have as a present possession everlasting life, eternal life. Now, you could explain to them that God is saying you have access in time to not just because everyone who just got saved is thinking about the length of life. but So you could use this verse then to explain it's not just the length of life, but it's the godly qualities and characteristics of life that you have access to now every moment throughout your life. It's a treasure that's yours. It's available. It's gassed up and ready to go. But will you appropriate it by faith or not? So I put this here just so that you know you're reminded that believers still need to be reminded of the positional truths of the gospel. At the same time, they are exhorted to appropriate the practical implications of those truths in their daily lives. So I wouldn't want you to come away thinking that just because this is written to believers that I shouldn't share this when I'm sharing the gospel. You're sharing it after the person has responded to the gospel message that you've presented them. Now you're telling them what some of the ramifications of that decision are. You're telling them that the ramifications of their personal faith in the finished work of Jesus is that they're guaranteed eternal life and they can know that they have eternal life, that it can never be lost, and that they have access to that quality of life now in time for the remainder of their time here on earth and for all of eternity. So then we get to the second purpose statement of this verse. These things I wrote to you. Who is he writing to? The person who is believing in the name of the Son of God presently, but writing to believers. The first reason was that they would know, that they would have assurance, that they have this access to this godly characteristic and quality of life in time. And, second reason I wrote that, so that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Another present tense thing. So, we have a present tense expectation or desire from the writing of the letter. I wrote so that you'd believe in the name of the Son of God, continue to do that in in a present tense way, that you would know that you have eternal life presently, appropriating that by faith, and that you would presently continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. that That would describe you. And the question is, does that describe you? Are you presently continuing to believe in the name of the Son of God? Well, what does that mean? If you're presently believing in him, then you're seeing that apart from me, you can do nothing. You're believing that living life apart from him will never satisfy. You, you'd be believing that the things of this world can never bring me happiness. You would be listening to some of the exhortations from the rest of this letter about things like, don't love the world. Not the thinking of the world or the things that are in the world. Don't love that. Because the Father's not in that. Live life with him instead you would be reminded that while I am presently maintaining some sort of a, a grudge or some sort of a, I'm holding on to some disappointment that I had with another person, I'm refusing to let it go, I'm refusing to forgive, I'm, forgiving, I'm refusing to move on from that, you'd be, you'd be reminded that in that moment I'm not presently existing in close intimate fellowship as directed by the Spirit of God with God. If that were true, the Spirit of God wouldn't be producing resentment, bitterness, and anger, hatred, envy towards other people. That's inconsistent with God's very character. So if that's how I was feeling in the moment, then at that moment I wouldn't be presently believing in, and we're talking about believing in and appropriating by faith, Christ's provision for my progressive or present sanctification. So we talk about positional sanctification, a point in time that I was made holy, not because I was holy, but because God's righteousness was credited to my account. But then we talk about present tense or present progressive sanctification, practical sanctification, some refer to it as, where practically speaking, I need to be operating in faith if God wants to change me over time. He can't be performing or finishing his work that he started in me effectively If I'm not presently trusting in him, operating by faith, walking by means of his spirit. Those things are incompatible. That's what this whole letter has been about. This is the key to any walk of faith or enjoyment of present fellowship is you have to be presently operating in faith. Now, it's repeated to drive home the point that the faith whereby we are saved is also the faith by which we live. Let me say that again. The faith whereby we are saved is also the faith by which we live. We live the Christian life by faith. By faith Abraham did this. By faith Rahab did this. By faith we can live the life that God has for us. We can't do it apart from faith. For without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I think I quoted that wrong, but. Oh. That's present tense there too. That's Christian living there too. It's impossible to please God apart from a walk of faith. Many people here today have already put their faith in Christ alone, many of you, ages ago. That hasn't been the question, are you a part of God's family? The question has been, have you been living your life in a way where you're allowing him to direct your life? Have you been living a life of faith? That's not something you produce through your flesh by waking up in the morning and say, today's the day I'm going to live for Jesus. That's a life that you live by waking up and saying, Without me, without you, Lord, I can do nothing. But yet with you, nothing's impossible. What a a fun way to think about that. You know, to just wake up and be reminded that, Without you, I can do nothing. But yet with you, I can do anything. Man. Considering how powerless you feel in so many other circumstances, know that the power of God is alive inside of you that he wants to work in and through you that you can do all things now through Christ who strengthens you that's such a promise talking about having Benjamins having hundred dollar bills in your wallet are you going to pull out your wallet and start spending some of those treasures that you have that's really the idea that you may continue to believe you believe in the name of Christ for salvation and then you keep on believing in that name in order to live the life that God intends For you. That is why using this verse to communicate truths applicable to first and second tense salvation is perfectly appropriate. There's so much truth packed into this verse. Now, you say this why is ongoing faith necessary? And I just said it because without me, you can do nothing. The direction, enabling, and power all come from Him. Now the question is, do you see that? Do you realize that? So many times we go through life with this, I already know that perspective. Tell, tell me something new. I've been doing that since I was little. One of the qualities that you probably, that isn't, great about me in my flesh and you'll see it come out at times, some of you are already, maybe are currently upset at me about this in my flesh I can be a know-it-all my dad used to have to tell me when I was young just go away from me right now (laughs) I can't tell you anything You think you know everything. I tear up a little bit as I think about some of that. Man, you know that song, Years I Spent in Vanity and Pride? Caring not my Lord was crucified. Now in that particular context, it goes on to say, Knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. So it's a first tense thing. It's about a person who spent years of their life not knowing the Lord. But you see, I got saved at a really young age. So for me, it wasn't the song if you applied it to the Christian life. I think some of you have been saved for decades, you know, but I was saved as a young boy. Now at 43 year- years old, that's you know, nearly 40 years to account for. And the reality is that you know, there's years when you add up the time that you're living apart from him, the time that you're excluding him from your life, the time you won't include him in your decisions, the times you're saying, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that. He's saying, you obviously don't know that (laughs) because you're not allowing me to make those changes in your life. You're not appropriating by faith that truth that you say you know. In one breath you're saying, I know that I can do nothing apart from him. and In the next breath you're saying, I got this. Or while you're saying, I know that I can do nothing apart from him, you're actively trying to do it without him. Amen? I mean, you say, why so much repetition? (laughs) It's it's the cobwebs, friends. It's the thick skulls. It's it's the stuff doesn't sink in. So you say, Sunday after Sunday, what's the value of coming here? It's to be reminded of the stuff you say you know already. That's why we come here. Uh, Many of you could come and teach this lesson. A bunch of you could have done it better than me. But we come here because we say we know things that we're not letting the Lord make changes in our lives about. So He wants to give us another shot. Here's another shot today, friends. Are we going to practically appropriate this truth in a present tense type of a way? That we're going to continue to believe in the present tense that we have this godly quality of life available to us every moment of every day? And will, will we draw near to Him, lean into Him in a way that will allow Him to exhibit those qualities of living through our lives on a day-to-day basis? That's where we're going to end this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Son. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time that we had to spend in it. Even thank You for the technology, even though it doesn't always work perfectly well. Thank you that you've given it to us. Pray that you'd even just give us wisdom as to how to use it effectively and use it correctly and help us figure out some of the glitches as we uh, try to tackle that for next week. But thank you for this building. Thank you that we have a place we can meet to keep us out of the elements. Pray that we wouldn't focus too much on the building. We would focus on the fact that you've given it to us as a place to gather together to learn more about you to encourage each other to build each other up and to together strive for the furtherance of the gospel to shine your light into the communities around us so that this this church could be a bright light for you thank you again as we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse world that you have given us the task of not cursing the world not cursing the darkness but the task of shining your light pray that that would be the thing that's on our thinking each and every day